I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, he is the Pesci to my De Niro, the one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, Columbus, Ohio, what do we got? 40, 45 degrees. It's gray. It's rainy. This is Coffee with the Hangout Boys. We're recording Sunday, uh, Sunday morning. How are we doing over there, partner? You could have at least made me Pacino to your De Niro. God damn. Come on. I probably should have reversed it. So for those of you listening, Chuck does have whatever, two to five inches on me. It doesn't matter. A a whisper. (laughs) You're damn right I do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chuck's got two to five inches of height on me. So I could have reversed that. But, you know, when we're looking at the... The billboard in the marquee, I, I think it's me, Chuck. I'm sorry. But Pesci is a great – Pesci's such a great 1B. 
such a great supporting character that you could argue he has more memorable roles, if that makes you feel better. Memorable, but not lead. So I'm not buying it. You're you're shortchanging your boy on a Sunday morning where it's freezing ass cold in Columbus. Boy's blower on his furnace went out yesterday. So we're waiting on a repairman for that. I figure that's going to take, I don't know, a few weeks of the old hangout pod paychecks to pay for that. So I'll be doing the pod for free probably for the rest of the season. But other than that, Buckeye win and uh, ready to rant about it. I could have said, speaking of cold and ugly, and we could have just rolled right into this recap. (laughs) That might have been a good one. But, you know, before we get to that, and obviously Chuck and I will discuss Ohio State's victory over Wisconsin. That's what most of you are here for. But we're more than a one-trick pony. So, Chuck, let's look at let's look at the national landscape first. Um, week nine, not great, not great. the The slate was you had a couple of ranked matchups, and we certainly had some surprises, which I know we want to get to. But you look across the landscape, really one ranked matchup. It was Oregon at Utah. I was really excited for that game, and Utah completely shit the bed. And that's probably not even fair. Utah looked like the inferior team, and as much as we like Kyle Whittingham and the sort of collection of guys they have, they're an inferior team. Oregon has the better recruits, the better quarterback by a mile. They've got the faster skill guys, so they stomped the Utes. And really not much else to speak of elsewhere, but whether it was Oregon-Utah or, like, what were you watching yesterday, Chuck, or what stood out to you non-Ohio State, non, you you can even go Big Ten if you want, but what stood out to you in general? We were sitting there watching games, it it was, I don't know, 5 o'clock, 5.30, trying to find a damn 3.30 game that was worth watching. Because it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. Up. We got the DirecTV stream sports tab up, and you literally can see the score of every game. We ended up on Tulane and, oh, shit, I don't even remember who they were playing. And that's that's how memorable it was, but it was a close game. <laughs> it was a one-score game, so we were watching something. Because w- what's the point of watching a 35-6 to six game? We watched a little bit of the Oregon-Utah game, but they Hold like on, said Chuck. they were so overmatched. Before you go any further, I just I want to relate because I had a similar experience. Our daughter was bugging us. And so at, yeah, about 5 o'clock, I was watching Beetlejuice on network television. Hey, um, that's a win. Beetlejuice is like, a movie. <laughs> the games were that bad. It's, the Beetlejuice is a classic. Good for her. I like that. I always knew I liked Baby Kate. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an uneventful weekend. And really, what you didn't, I don't think you learned a whole lot. I think you kind of eliminated a couple teams that you were thought might be contenders, but in reality, we kind of knew they weren't. Utah being the, the prime example. The other part was kind of just, hey, we're here. This is, this is what it is for the week. And it kind of just, said, hey, we got 10 teams. Let's see what happens with these 10 teams in the next four weeks that end up being four teams that go to the playoff. Yeah, so I think what you're saying is 
the teams are already sort of determined. They're going to come out of this small group, and there's right. really, yep. I, I don't. I'm, I agree with you. I don't think there's going to be a late charge by anyone, and because you've got so many teams that already have at least one loss, some will get eliminated. Some will play each other. You know, we're going to see that with Ohio State and Michigan. We're going to see that in the Pac-12. But I think there's some standouts, and then there's everyone else. And I'm willing to hear arguments for, you know, a team is this or that. What about Oklahoma? Were you taking them seriously before their loss to Kansas? Which, yes, surprising, if only because of... I don't want to shortchange Kansas, but they don't have Jayshon Daniels or Jaden Daniels. I, um, I'm a, the kid's name is escaping me right now, but the guy who's he was a Heisman candidate early last year. Now he's out. They've got the Bean Man, who's like in his sixth year. He was North Texas, Texas State, something like that. Transferred into Kansas. Not a great quarterback. I can't give you like another name on that roster. Certainly one of the skill guys, but. Lance Leopold's a hell of a coach, and if he gets some guys there at Kansas, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, but were you surprised by that upset of Oklahoma? I was, because I took last week with a grain of salt the UCF result. I thought, hey, you know, it, it is what it is. You're coming off a tough game, and you're going to have a little bit of a letdown. The part that was shocking is Oklahoma's defense is so bad. <laughs> like, you thought with, with Lincoln Riley leaving that, their defense would just get better. Just not having Alex Grinch as your DC would be better, and it didn't. And having Venables as your coach. Yeah, year two of it not being better is is kind of alarming. And that part kind of – I feel like that's going to eliminate them because I don't know that they – it sure doesn't feel like they can beat Texas a second time because of that. I mean, Texas handled business without Ewers. To me, it was – it didn't eliminate them because if they run the table, they got a shot. But to me, it just feels like with the way they're playing, they're gonna. It's inevitable they're gonna lose another game. I think the the whole Oklahoma Texas thing will come down to whether or not Ewers is fully healthy. I I think that he will, and I think Texas thinks that he will be. But Malik Murphy was okay for them yesterday. Maybe this is on me. I thought he was a bit more of a dual threat, and he didn't run. And that, you know, 16 for 25, a buck 70, two touchdowns, one pick. I watched some of that game, and I wasn't overly impressed. You can tell the skills there, and he's a big sort of hulking sort of dude. And they've got a good ground game traditionally. But I, I don't know. We'll see about that one. Here's a good question for you, Chuck. Does the Big Ten maybe just suck? And the reason I ask is because, <laughs> I mean, we watched Ohio State last night, and we'll get to that. I say that in jest, but Penn State was in a dog fight with Indiana. A dog fight. They won 33-24, to late score, late safety, which was comical. Um, and then Maryland lost to Northwestern. So it seems like the Big Ten East is doing their damnedest to crater Ohio State's strength of schedule. But, I mean, Maryland's defense just isn't it. 
Tua was still okay. He makes some mind-boggling decisions, though, still, as an experienced quarterback, especially running around. But, you know, and maybe they got 11 a.m.'d out there in Evanston, right? It's tricky. You go to Northwestern, you got the 11 a.m. kick. They didn't seem... They didn't seem up for it, and then they couldn't come back, or they just couldn't battle back. But the Penn State game, I mean, Iowa stinks, and or I'm sorry, Indiana stinks, and Soresby couple deep balls. Iowa stinks too. I know. Yeah, it's not that, that's my whole point, right? That's the that's the crux of this argument. Soresby hits a couple long balls, ninety yard touchdown, seventy yard touchdown. Aller still can't throw the ball downfield. It's alarming. We watch it, and I gave Ohio State's defense the benefit of the doubt watching that Penn State game. But then I see the Nittany Lions go up against Indiana. He doesn't have it, man. I I really don't think that he does, and maybe he gets better. Maybe this is inexperience. It could also be some of the weapons. I don't think he's throwing to the greatest show on turf. But even the long ball that won them the game. I don't know if you saw this play or watched it more than once. It was underthrown. And the defensive back couldn't make the adjustment, whereas Keandre Lambert-Smith could and did. But they don't got it, man. I really don't think that they do. I think that Michigan probably kicks their tail here in a couple of weeks. I hope that I'm wrong. But where are we at on the Big Ten, Chuck? Are they just a mid-conference or what? Yeah, it's going to be really tough to justify if it comes down to uh, someone of Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State with one loss as the second place Big Ten East team for them to justify a spot in the playoff. To me, this has now come down to you have to win the Big Ten championship or you're not going to get in because of this crap-ass when everybody else is between seven and five wins in the entire conference, it just makes it seem like uh, you're you didn't play anybody. When North, when Nebraska looks like the favorite in the West with a first-year coach and haven't had any success in ten years, that's all you need to know. What's going to be funny, and by funny I mean not. Is if one of these Big Ten West teams upsets the eventual East champion. And then the committee's going to be like, all right, now what the hell do we do? Because I think that if that happens, if that were to happen, I think it'd be fair to eliminate the Big Ten. If you've got some other teams knocking on the door. Because this is a two, maybe three horse race. And I don't know that the race is this good or, or that good. You know, this is not the Kentucky Derby anymore. This is something at Scioto Downs, right? Because the Big Ten is not as impressive as it looked maybe a month ago. Now, we could come to find that it's all related to the defenses because I do still think that, look, Penn State gave up 24 to Indiana. They gave up two plays to Indiana. One was a blown coverage that was so blown, there was no one within 20 yards of the Indiana player. So sort of fluky. We know Ohio State's defense is good. We're pretty sure that Michigan's defense is pretty good. We'll see as they actually play a team with a pulse. But I don't know, the 
the scores, the results from yesterday, nothing too crazy outside of Oklahoma, and I don't know if we consider that to be that crazy just because of the Leopold factor. Like I said, I think he's a great coach. But I asked you a couple questions before the pod. I gave you a little bit of homework, Chuck, just so we can sort of um, filibuster like we normally do because we like to talk about what else is going on. It's not really a filibuster. We don't want to just say, hey, here's the Ohio State score and here's what happened. So the first question I've got for you, the initial college football playoff rankings will come out Tuesday. Our next episode will come out Wednesday, and we may or may not have time to discuss beforehand. So let's get after it now. What are your top four teams in the college football playoff rankings if you had to predict right now? If I... If I had to predict or if I was making the pick myself. Give me an argument for both or just walk me through your thought process. That's a good That's a good uh, retort by you. I think Washington should be number one because of the Oregon win. I don't think they will. I think Ohio State's going to be number one, and, and I think they should probably be two because they do have the two really good wins against Notre Dame and Penn State. Um, to me, from there, it's – Probably Florida State because of their win against LSU. I know LSU isn't great, but they did beat them, and they beat Duke. I know Duke lost to Louisville, but they're still going to be in the top 25 when this ranking comes out. And then it's a battle of the terrible-ass schedules, and if you're going to pick one, Georgia deserves the benefit of the doubt before Michigan for the fourth spot. I have no arguments whatsoever with what you just said. However... This is the last year of the four-team playoff, right? Uh, The committee doesn't really have to answer to anybody. And this is the first ranking, so they don't matter. I get all of the arguments for the teams that you made, but I think they're just going to go chalk. I think that Georgia will get the benefit of the doubt, especially because they looked really good without their best player yesterday against Florida. So the committee can be like, hey, They are the defending champs. We know the schedule hasn't been great, but they've looked really, really good. Same thing with Michigan, and I hate to say it, this is probably the team that is most likely to fall, in my opinion, just because of the schedule. It's got nothing to do with everything else that's going on, but if Georgia's schedule is bad then Michigan's strength of schedule is awful. Like, it is honestly, honestly dreadful. I think that their best win by a mile is Wisconsin, and we saw how good a team they are last night. So I think they're going to go Georgia, Michigan. Ohio State gets the nod at three, even though they should probably be higher with their strength of schedule and their wins. And then I guess I would go Washington four, which leaves the – it leaves Florida State on the outside. You could talk me into Florida State being as high as like number two or three, honestly. But if it's sort of like if Georgia gets the benefit of the doubt, Florida State gets the opposite. The ACC is not a great conference. They're, they're not a good conference. Give me the second best team in the ACC. Oof. It's Louisville, actually. <laughs> it's Louisville, which is a shock. Right now, yeah. 
it, like after they stomped Notre Dame, I thought that that was a fluke, but um, they just beat you know, Duke. Yeah, they stomped Duke last night, so I think they're legitimately impressive. But I still have to see it against sort of a, a top tier. I need to see it against Florida State, honestly, to know if Louisville's any good. Clemson's not. Rest in peace to that program. They're four and four. North Carolina has lost to hey, one and completely unrelated, but related. There is no chance in hell I'm the head coach of a football team that's four and three, and a player, the quarterback, admits, and I tell you on on my uh, press conference that he did not run the play that was called for us, and it cost us the game, and he starts the next game. There's no way uh, Klubinek should have started that game. There's no way. You, what did you just say? You can do whatever the hell you want in this program. He literally did not. The play was a handoff period. It was not a, a uh, zone read at all, and he wanted to be a hero and score the winning touchdown and cost them the game because the running back walked into the end zone. I, he's completely lost that program, and I couldn't be happier about it. So yeah, so you're alluding to last week when Klubnik made the you know executive decision on the zone read to you know make it a quarterback run. He said afterwards, "Yeah, I changed that up." I sort of agree with you, but what what would Clemson do? Like the the talent in that program is not it's not even in the ballpark of what it used to be. No, but you're already four and three. You're out of everything. And guess what? They still lost to the, uh, yesterday with him. So put somebody else in there. Put the program on notice and put your players on notice. We will not take you not running our program. We won't take it. You're still just a player at the program, period. You you run what's called. That's fair, but for some reason I feel like you're trying to distract me because you know that my CFP rankings are airtight. I'm not here to talk about the death of Clemson. I can't and wait. The I can't death wait Wednesday when you're wrong. I will not be distracted by the death of Clemson and potentially USC, who gave up 49 points to California and had to stop a two-point conversion to win. Nothing to see here. I'm not going to get railroaded, so I'm going to finish my rankings, all right? Um, I just think Florida State's on the outside looking in, even though they're, I think they're a really good team. Jordan Travis, experienced guy, Keon Coleman. There's an argument to be made that he's the second best wide receiver in this upcoming draft. He's a physical freak. I don't know if you saw the one-handed catch yesterday. Like it was nothing. <laughs> like it was nothing. So those are our CFP predictions. Chuck and I differ only because I think the committee goes chalk, but I like all of Chuck's reasoning and rationale. He'll probably be right more so than me but i gotta give him a victory here and there let's pivot to player stuff Hey, real quick real quick i think we're down to 10 teams too i know that's crazy to say do you have them in front of you yeah like the five we discussed oregon they're still in it texas is still in it alabama oklahoma just because if oklahoma runs the table they've got a, a conversation penn state same thing if they end up winning the Big Ten, however the, the tiebreakers work, they're in. Beyond that, that's it. 
you could look at like Ole Miss is seven and one, but they lost to Alabama. So Bama would have to lose twice to get them in the SEC championship. And I just don't think, I think they would give Alabama the benefit of the doubt. I think they would give an Ohio State, and they have given Ohio State the benefit of the doubt not making the Big Ten title game. They're not going to do that with Ole Miss. Ole Miss is going to have to win the SEC, and I just don't see Alabama losing twice to get them into the title game, even if uh, Ole Miss is 11 or 1. So we're down to 10 teams. After that, everybody else has two losses. So you're you're pretty much done. Nobody has ever made the four team at two losses. I just don't see this year being the first year it happens. Unless, like I said, the committee just says, what the hell? It's the last year. What are they going to do? We're burning this thing down next year anyway. But no, I think that I agree with you. It's sort of odd that we don't have a non-Power 5 team lurking. I know I know that there's some good ones out there. but Right, but they, got, they have to go undefeated, and none of them are undefeated, except James Madison, who's not eligible. Give it to them, though. I, I think. <laughs> and and then there's Air Force, but we don't think they're going to run the table. So what what's their left? That's it. I, they'll be the highest one would be my guess. But until they get to 10 wins, they're not even in the conversation. Maybe 11 wins. I don't want to poke the bear, but I just I haven't been paying a whole lot of attention to Cincinnati. What about their chances this year? Oof. I tell you what, <laughs> I don't. I don't They're so bad. They're so bad. Scott Satterfield's the answer. Who is he? A, he's not a good coach. He's going to run that program into the ground. It sucks. I think they should let Luke go back. And I like Luke Fickle, but when USC and Oregon and Washington come to the Big Ten, they should just let him go back, see if he can win the Big 12. But I said I wanted to look at some some players here, some individuals so I, I put something in your brain. I planted that idea. Let's do Heisman talk real quick. So I've seen a lot of things on social media, and we've talked about it. Buckeye Nation has talked about it. It, it seems almost unanimous that Marvin Harrison Jr. is considered the best player in college football right now. But that does not always mean Heisman, Heisman finalist, right? Throw out sort of everything. Just tell me this. Do you think that Marvin Harrison Jr. absolutely needs to be in the Heisman finalist conversation? Whether or not you think he wins it later date. There are still a number of games to go, but it's usually three to four guys that go to New York. It's typically always quarterbacks and you know maybe on an off year you're going to get a guy but Devontae Smith won this award a couple of years ago does Marvin Harrison Jr. right now absolutely deserve to be in New York at the end of the year he does and I think he's going to be he's going to get enough love to finish in that range you know they they look at the uh, votes and kind of find that in the after the third fourth or fifth guy where there's a break of how many guys are, are going to go like there's a vote break. So I think he'll be a part of that group. 
I think he's got a shot. If he continues to put these numbers up and they run the table, I do think that Ohio State's going to have to run the table for him because in order for them to run the table, the offense is going to have to continue to roll. And if they lose a game and it's not going to matter if he has 10 catches and they lose to Michigan, all's going to be for naught when it comes to the Heisman. So I think he's a candidate. That being said, if Penix runs the table – and puts up the numbers we think he's going to. He's probably a, a better odds. Nick's same way. If Nick ends up winning the Pac-12 and, and avenges the loss to Penix with 400 yards, he's probably going to jump in just because they're quarterbacks. If Jordan Travis does the same, I think he's got a shot to jump in. But they're going to find a way to make him in that top three, four, five, just so they have somebody that they could say is the best player at the um, finals. I think I agree with that. Marvin Harrison Jr. right now, just a shade under 900 yards. He's got eight touchdowns. So his stats are not even half of Devontae Smith's stats in 2020 when he won it. Absurd season, 117 catches, 1,800-plus yards, 23 touchdowns. But when you want to talk about impacting the game and coming up in big moments and just single-handedly lifting his team up and propelling them toward a victory, Marvin Harrison Jr. is that guy. And this year, there is not a head and shoulders above the rest candidate right now. There's not a guy putting up those... Caleb Williams' stats. Like, I know Penix's are good. I know Bo Nix has got some good stats. Same thing for Jordan Travis. But there's no quarterback right now with you know that already has 35 touchdowns to three picks. You know, something obscene. So, it, this is not Homer Josh. This is reasonable, rational Josh. Marvin Harrison Jr. should absolutely, as of right now, be a Heisman finalist. So... That's the national wrap-up here, Chuck. I think I think it's time. I think we should go ahead and take a break. We'll come back, and we will break down, recap, and discuss this beautiful, illustrious, uh, program-altering win by our Ohio State Buckeyes. What do you say? I don't agree with any of that except the fact that we should probably take a break. All right, that's good enough for me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley, and we are discussing Ohio State's 24-10 victory over the Wisconsin Badgers at Cramp Randall Stadium in Madison. I want to start there, actually, Chuck. So, so, so disappointed in those Badgers fans. I don't know if you saw this. That game was far from a sellout at the beginning of the game. I don't know how it filled up over time, but at kickoff, you're probably talking 85, maybe 90% capacity. Were you surprised by the turnout or, or lack thereof? At Madison in Camp Randall? Yeah, and it looked like it was st the student section, which is crazy to me for a night game. Look, I get it. As a student, noon kickoffs were really tough to get to some Saturdays. We struggled to make it there on time. We got there, but we struggled some mornings. But 7.30, so what was it there? 6.30 kickoff there? 
like that's inexcusable. Like you could be, you got plenty of time to get oiled up before a six thirty kickoff and make it in time. Well, I think that may have been the issue. Halloween weekend, you Too and I, up? yeah, it, you know, you and I may or may not have attended a number of Halloween parties around that age. Maybe made some questionable decisions. I, I missed a night game or two. I can think of one in particular. Uh, bad experience with a bottle of Goldschlager, which was a thing back at the time. So sometimes those afternoons, they just get the best of you. It happens to the best of us. But when you've got the number three team in the country coming into your house, you're looking for an upset. You know, I was surprised, and I'm looking at it right now, 95% capacity. That means they didn't even sell all the tickets. And that says nothing about actual attendance. I find that to be pretty wild. I really thought that that would be more of a rowdy atmosphere than it was. And really, throughout the first half, it didn't even seem that loud. Did it? Like, to me, yeah, it was an away no, game. Especially for a close game. If for, yeah, like for there it was, to be a close game, you should have been fired up every single play on defense. There were 75,000 plus there, and it was like, okay, whatever, you know, like this is a road game. It's certainly more hostile than Evanston if you're going to play Northwestern, but it was not what I expected. Regardless, you know, game starts. Here's another thing I did not expect. Ohio State, sort of flat, but maybe I should have expected this. Another slow start for the Buckeyes. We've seen this from them, specifically quarterback Kyle McCord. And we're going to talk about this probably uh, you know, in detail. But Ohio State comes out and you know they're just sort of sleepy, sort of sloppy. Kyle McCord is missing some throws, some easy throws. Some of it looks like miscommunication. Some of it he's just, again, he's not setting his feet. He's not pulling the trigger at the right time. Travion Henderson looked good, and we could tell that right off the bat. Kyle McCord did not. So, you know, they go down. They've got a fourth down at uh, the plus 33, I think. He takes a sack. He fumbles. That's been, unfortunately, a theme with Kyle McCord. He also had the bad picks. Defense stood on its head like it normally does, but just sort of like a it was a lame first half. I wish I could be more eloquent. It wasn't a super fun football game to watch early on, but Ohio State goes into halftime up 10 to 3. Wisconsin comes out, they tie it quickly to begin the second half. Then Ohio State does its thing, right? Ohio State, the defense stands back up. Kyle McCord does just enough in the second half. Travion Henderson, welcome back, my friend. He and Marvin Harrison Jr. sort of do what they need to do. Thousand foot view here, though. Chuck, what was your overall impression of the game? Like, what were we missing? What was hitting? Why did we see the result that we ultimately saw last night? That game boiled down to, and this should be, while disheartening, also really uh, uplifting for Wisconsin. The difference yesterday between Wisconsin and Ohio State was literally only two players. It was Henderson and it was Harrison. Now, those guys aren't easy to find. Hendersons are easier to find than Harrisons. But if you get those two guys, 
you can get mediocre play from the rest of the offense and still put up 24 points on the road. And I don't doubt that Fickle's going to build a good defense. And frankly, they didn't play bad defensively yesterday. You know, you got two guys and, and they, they lost those guys a couple times, but they weren't bad. So that's really what it boiled down to. There were two players on Ohio State's offense that were exponentially better than anybody else on the field, and they led the team to victory. And, and they really didn't get any help on along the way. It was them, and then it was the defense playing a normal Ohio State defense. What we've come to expect is a normal Ohio State defensive game for 2023. Yeah, this game for Ohio State was Henderson, Harrison, and Knowles. Period. Point blank, flat out, like other guys came to play and we'll talk about some of the players, position groups, things like that. But it's funny, I can take it a step further. And if you told me that this entire game was played and or coached by just Trebion Henderson, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jim Knowles, Tyleek Williams, Hunter Wohler on the other side, and Ricardo Hallman... I'd be like, yeah, those are the only five to six names I can even remember from last night making plays because it was just sort of a a rock fight back and forth. Ohio State failed to execute in you know on in plus territory once, and then yeah, in the red zone another time, not great. And the defense did what it typically does. They're they're going to have that one drive where they're probably a little gassed and they don't execute as well. But then they get down around the goal line. They stand up. And beginning of the second half sort of is what it is, right? Wisconsin came out. I'm sure that they probably scripted some plays for that first drive. And they hit on them. You know, the the, the pass to begin the half, short little pass, good blocking ahead. Sort of like a quasi-screen or maybe a screen. It worked. The draw play to with Locke worked. But then those were all the bullets, I think, that Wisconsin had really with, you know, Braden Locke back there. I know he made some big-time throws and certainly seems like he will get better, is getting better, and maybe he has a future down the road. But at the end of the day, he was 18 for 39, buck 65 and one touchdown. He had the one scramble, took a couple sacks. So Wisconsin just doesn't have the talent. And then when Braylon Allen goes down with the foot, the ankle, whatever it was, I think that was the death blow. Once he went down, even when the game was still tight, when it was still close, I was like, that's it. Like, that's it for Wisconsin. That was their their one chance, their one opportunity is to establish some sort of insane ground game with Allen, and it just didn't happen, and then he goes out. After a couple of fumbles, like, he wasn't super sharp, but after he got over the fumbleitis, he ran the ball pretty well. But they were a one-trick pony going in. You take away the one trick, and it was sort of over and done with. But let's just get into some position groups, some players here. We always start with quarterbacks, and I think this is going to dominate the conversation. Ohio State's quarterback, Kyle McCord. 17 for 26, 226 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, 56.0 QBR. Kyle McCord has been inconsistent. He has had some average to above average games. This was Kyle McCord's first bad game as a Buckeye, and it was a bad game. 
you can look at the stats and say, oh, you know, a couple mistakes he'd like to have back. No, it just, he was carried by Marvin Harrison Jr. and a potent ground game. The two interceptions, Chuck, I know you want to talk about the second one. The first one's just flat out inexcusable. You're down in the oh, red zone. Terrible. You're down in the red zone. It's first down. You The play was designed for Cade Stover, I think. It was one of the tight ends. He rolls out. It's not there. Get rid of it. Live to fight another day. He tries to force something in there. That's a guy trying to do too much. But even then, young and experienced quarterbacks don't make that throw. You just can't do it. You have to get points there and give your guy a chance. He did none of the above. That's a bad interception. The second one, I think Holman just got the best of them. They were playing his own. He came off of it. I give more credit to Wisconsin, the cornerback on that play, than I than I take away from Kyle McCord. But those are the interceptions. The fumble, I think you, you predicted it. You said we'll probably get another Kyle McCord fumble that'll keep this game a little bit closer than we'd like. Guess what? You got it. The turnover's got to stop, man. And the inconsistency... It has to get better, and the starts have to get better, or at some point, Ohio State is going to dig a hole that they just can't come out of. I couldn't disagree more on that second interception. That second, that first. Then you disagree with Ryan Day. Ryan Day, who's the head coach, said he didn't blame Kyle McCord too much. I don't. I don't believe a word to come out of his mouth because Emeka Buka didn't play in this game. So give me a break. (laughs) Give me. Give me a. A damn break. He eat so one of two or three, and they they all could be wrong, correct, and they were all wrong on McCord's part. He did not know it was his own because he never anticipated that guy being there. So he thought they were in man. If even if they were in man, he waited until Harrison was actually open to throw it. He did not anticipate the throw. So even if they were in man, that wasn't going to be a completion. And he never like he just doesn't. It it was awful. It was complete. It was it's completely unacceptable that. And I get it. He is in his ninth start, but he has been in college football for three years. If he hasn't seen a zone defense and can't like diagnose that it's zone versus man, there this that's a big problem. Because guess what? Michigan's going to disguise it. And if you survive Michigan, George is going to disguise it. And they're going to wear his ass out. It's just, it's not, this was, this was a D game. It's not a failing game because they won the game by two touchdowns. But the challenge you have with Kyle McCord, and we discussed this earlier before the podcast, his floor is so much lower than any quarterback. You could argue. Maybe Cardale had his low a floor, but again, Cardale never got didn't get nine starts, so you don't know. And he never, Cardale never really put him in a position like this with the turnovers. Prior to that, and this is crazy, like it was, it's Bowserman, because if you look since then, prior, then you got JT Braxton, uh, Fields. Uh, Haskins, like none of these guys had a floor of a game like today. 
And that's a that's the scary proposition. He also it's both. He doesn't have the A plus ceiling. He's also got the D floor. So the defense better keep playing the way they are because to me it feels like he's got another one of these inning. Unfortunately, because now it's on tape of what you can do to him. I struggle to come up with an argument for any of that. Uh, I specifically agree with you that. The floor seems lower than most recent Ohio State quarterbacks. Uh, There was nothing special about this game. He really only hurt them. And then he's got Marvin Harrison Jr. for bailout purposes, right? Um, But I I am going to defend him a little bit here. First of all, I I think the talent's there. Like, I I get it. He's young. He makes some bad decisions. He makes some inexplicable decisions at times. What what talent's there? Like, what do you see talent-wise? Because he doesn't have a big arm. Because he doesn't throw these guys open. Even when, like, the Harrison touchdown, he was late on the throw. And it was was kind of, he looks like Krenzel throwing the ball sometimes. Like, he's got the big wind-up, and it's got to go really high in the air. He does not have a great arm. Like, his arm talent is not elite by any stretch of the imagination. I think that he is or can be a distributor. Whether we've talked about it on this podcast or not, I know we've talked about it, like, in our Slack group uh, for Land Grant. He needs to be in the Dwayne Haskins offense because – like that's I think what he's best at. If he's just back there cooking, and that, last night might say otherwise, right? But when you think about when he's been really good, Ohio State's got him back there in shotgun. They're getting rid of the ball quickly. They're using the middle of the field. I mean, for the love of all goodness, use the middle of the damn field. I they need to cater to his ability, but I do think the talent is there because you you talk about the arm strength, probably not Stafford esque. I'll give you that. But some of his ball placement and some of the throws that he does make are top-notch throws. I, the Harrison throw, the Harrison touchdown last night, yeah, it may have been a little late. The ball placement on that was perfect. I think about last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, the seam route that Cade Stover mossed a guy. Yeah, it was Stover making a great catch. But that, like, that ball couldn't have been put anywhere else on this planet. For Cade Stover to make that catch, and he did. So I've seen the glimpses. I think there's great in there. I'm not arguing that his ceiling is up there with C.J. Stroud. I don't think it is. Uh, I don't know that it's up there with a Fields or a Haskins even. But if we're handing out grades and you say that Kyle McCord, his best is a B plus, that's where I disagree. I think he's got A minus A in him. I really do. But the starts are concerning to me. We've seen this, you know, I think it was two weeks ago. I think it was Purdue, right? They came out and it was scripted. They scored. And then they couldn't do much the rest of the first half. And we've seen it, Penn State, not a great first half. This game, not a great first half. He seems to play better in the second half. And that's that in and of itself is, is promising. That's a positive development. He balled out against Notre Dame when they needed him, right? Like, he's come up when they really, really needed him. But Kyle, like, how about you spot me 14 to 21 points? Like, let's just play well from the beginning of the game, from the get-go, and dominate throughout. That's what I want to see because 
the inconsistency is what's going to get them in trouble. When they need to... I'm not sure that they can score three out of four possessions or four out of five possessions. And at some point, they're going to need that to either keep up with a team, to come from behind against a team that has solved the Knowles defense to an extent. That's probably 1A for me. But look, I mean, with Devin Brown down, and look, we, we saw Devin Brown too. I, Devin Brown doesn't have that A minus a, a game in him right now. This is Kyle McCord's team, for better or for worse. And I do think that it's going to get better. I hope that it does. It almost seems like he's plateauing and he has not continued the ascent to get better. So I'll give you that. But, you know, for fans who are saying, oh, you know, give Gabby a chance, give Keenholz a chance, like, no shot in hell. And I still think that this team can go 14 and 0 with Kyle McCord. I really do. Is it going to be as. Easy as it would have been with a C.J. Stroud? No. But, like, I saw people during the first half last night saying Ryan Day can't wait to get to the transfer portal or he can't wait to turn the page. Kyle, Ohio State can't win a national title with Kyle McCord. I disagree. It may not be because of Kyle McCord that they ultimately go and win, but with the combination of McCord... Travion Henderson, Marvin Harrison Jr., and the defense, I do think that they can. So I'm not defending his performance, but I will continue to say that I think that he has great in him, and I hope that we see it. I agree that he's the best candidate, but that doesn't, to me, that doesn't mean he's um, the candidate to win it. I, I, I am really worried about. Let me ask you this, Chuck. Is he better than Cardell Jones? Um, wh- which Cardell? Doesn't matter. We we didn't know what Cardell was when he, they won a national title. Yeah, what happened to Cardell the year after? Like, no, he's not better than CFP Cardell, but he's better than 2015. And guess what happened to 2015 Cardell? He got his ass benched. Yeah. Like, they gave him the shot, and he did not. He didn't do anything with it. And he had good weapons, too. So Can we... Uh, well, this will be another episode. I think we need to have a revisionist history discussion about Cardell Jones and that CFP. Like, I'm not taking anything away from him. And he, you know, sort of bailed Ohio State out. He was not Pat Mahomes. Like, we need to go back and look at some of the numbers, look at some of the games, look at some no, of his turnovers. But they weren't like these. He was at least pushing the ball down the field. He like it wasn't, and he was excellent at that. He was excellent at that. No. He and it wasn't. It, he didn't. He never had three turnovers, and he didn't have two intentional groundings. <laughs> he he at least knew the rules of football and knew what he had to do when he threw the damn ball away. But like you're literally talking about somebody from like your six quarterbacks ago that was as uh, quote-unquote bad as the way Kyle McCord has the potential to play. But you brought it up. He's He might make history, and then you're going to be eating crow. 
Because when he goes down in the record books as the quarterback with the most intentional grounding calls, then you're going to be like, damn, I slept on Kyle McCord. He owns a record. Does He probably already has it, I would guess. (laughs) Holy smokes. Like, he is like, he's the... He's the Barry Bonds of intentional groundings. He is he is on so much juice with his intentional groundings that nobody's ever going to be able to catch him. I just don't understand. Throw the damn ball to a receiver. What 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 could possibly ever come out of just throwing the ball somewhere? And it, uh, one of them yesterday was almost a fumble. He almost had a fourth turnover. They they bailed his ass out and let him punt it. It's, it's it. mind blowing. If you're going to be decision making, though, yeah, if you're going to be bad at something, though, be great at it. If you're going to be bad, be great. <laughs> and um, what I want to so what I want to do here, Chuck, though, is I, I want to tie this in because Kyle McCord was an issue. He was the problem. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. was not. He was the solution. But Kyle McCord needs some help, too. And I, so I want to skip past the running backs for now. We'll put a pin in it. Marvin Harrison Jr., fantastic last night. Um, only six catches for 123 yards and two scores. Probably had 12 targets. McCord struggled to hit him, especially early on. But who else is out there making plays in the passing game for Ohio State? You know, this is wide receiver U. And I, I think the talent's there. Clearly it is. You got a, a billion recruiting stars. But with Emeka Ibuka out, they have not had answers. They have not had solutions. Carnell Tate, he's young. He's next up. I think we can see that. That's pretty evident. He's going to be special. But right now he's still young. And so he's struggling with this, that, or the other. He's, he's not doing this, that, or the other. So... Ohio State is starting Julian Fleming and Xavier Johnson uh, as the other two wide receivers out there, and they just don't have it as traditional wide receivers. And I hate to say that about Julian Fleming. I still think that he would be better in the slot, but he's not going to get that opportunity because Emeka Ibuka and Xavier Johnson are also better in the slot. Xavier Johnson contributed nothing in the passing game yesterday. The uh, the end around or the sweep worked with him, 4 for 29 on the ground. But basically, you're trotting out Marvin Harrison Jr. and a bunch of guys and expecting it to be easy for Kyle McCord, and it's not. So that's not helping him. They need to get Emeka Ibuka back because Julian Fleming is not a number two option. Xavier Johnson is probably not a number two or number three option. And then for whatever reason, they couldn't get Cade Stover going last night. Cade Stover made a couple nice blocks on a couple of big runs. G. Scott Jr. had two for 18. Like he was targeted on a big play that had a bad result. And I wish I remember which one it was. It ended up being the fumble or the interception, I believe. But like G. Scott Jr., the play was called for him. No offense to G. Scott Jr., I I really like him as a developmental prospect, but Ohio State's second leading receiver last night was Travion Henderson, 4 for 45. Then he had Julian Fleming, 2 for 19. G. Scott Jr., 2 for 18. Carnell Tate, 1 for 14. Chip Trainum, 2 for 7. Nothing from X, nothing from Cade Stover. 
that's a problem that they need to fix if Kyle McCord is going to reach his ceiling, whatever it is. Would you at least agree with that? Yeah, I'd I'd like to cool the uh, the Brian Hart line is the greatest recruiter in the history of mankind thing down a little bit until he actually like let let's develop more than a couple of these guys. And don't get me wrong, we've developed a ton, but you don't get to just stop developing them. And let's be honest, we we've gotten one out of the last three classes. Think about it. I mean, Fleming's class, nobody. You got Harrison. I guess you could take Abuka, but that's it. Like, Colonel Tate's going to be a monster, and if you right the fresh and he will. But then, like the sophomore, the senior class is nothing. The sophomore class is nothing. You can't recruit four receivers a class, and none of them pan out. Like the sophomore class can't get on the field, and you can't beat. Julian Fleming out like I'm sorry you're not a good receiver because he's never open he had those catches yesterday he was guarded both times they were actually good throws and he did make good catches on him but he he's never open he never beats his man and he had a drop which I in my opinion was a difficult catch but it, it was a catchable ball this is probably a discussion a part of a larger discussion where Ohio State has trust in guys and I'll say this, when you think about what Ohio State wide receivers and pass catchers are asked to do, what is, like, 1A is catch the ball, but 1B is block. Like, it's not even number two. 1B is, and so I, I, I at least wonder if other guys are still learning that part make the game. We saw Carnell Tate make some blocks. the offensive line. They should make that a requirement for linemen because it sure in the hell isn't a requirement currently. But with these wide receivers, Cardinal Tate had some good blocks last night. He really did. But that's that's one thing that Julian Fleming traditionally or historically has done very well is block. And so I think that's why you're going to continue to see him out there. Xavier Johnson will at least get his body in the way. He's a smaller guy, but he, he'll scrap. So I wonder if that's sort of what it takes and then, you know, for what it's worth, Kion Grays is hurt. Kojo Antwi, I think they're looking to redshirt. Caleb Brown transferred out. Uh, Caleb Burton transferred out. So the depth the depth we think What's is Caleb gr- Burton done. What what has he done? He was he was a miss. Like he transferred out because they told him to transfer out. They got him here and realized you're not good enough to play here. He's not good enough to play at Iowa. Well, that's Caleb Brown. Caleb Burton's at Auburn. Neither one, I don't oh, think, has done tough. anything. No. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's tough. I think guys want to play right away, and Ohio State's only going to put the best out there. They don't rotate their wide receivers, which Brian Hartline has talked about. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not here to rotate guys. I think that's why we don't see the Jaden Ballards and the Brandon Innes's of the world, but... Yeah, it needs to be better. You need to have more than two dependable options. There's no doubt. And they didn't have that last night. So that was sort of a a recap, a discussion of the wide receivers. But before we move on, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. just continues to be a freak. He had the two touchdowns. I, I need to be vindicated that they are saving middle of the field utilization for Michigan. Because the fact that they just, 
they'll only run the crossers or a mesh play or something like that when they really need it. And it works 11 times out of 10. It continues to frustrate the absolute hell out of me. When they needed a touchdown last night, what did they do? Crossers to Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, um, I think Ibuka helps with that. We can skip that part of the conversation. The fact that Emeka Ibuka was running around pregame. They said he was available. They said he was good to go. And then they're like, eh, you know, he seemed all right, but we want to be extra cautious. I'm so annoyed by that. Like, then just rule him out. Don't say he's available. Don't bring him. Like, if you want to play that game, and it's it's up to the players, or it's up to the coaches and the training staff, but that continues to be really, 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 really frustrating. The guys seem ready to go, and they're like, psych. Maybe that's because Ohio State doesn't feel as if they need them, but they could have used a Mecca last night. And you see him pregame. He's warming up. He's dancing around. Let's move on before I get too upset. Ohio State's ground game got back on track last night. And they limited Wisconsin's ground game, which was really all they had. But on the Ohio State side, Travion Henderson back after a three-game absence. He was fantastic, Chuck. Like, we saw some of the dancing, which is not so fantastic. But it's because he's a patient runner and he wants to try and get something out of the play. But 24 for 162, 6.8 yard per carry average on the ground. Had the the game winning touchdown or the the game ceiling touchdown. 33 yards in the fourth quarter. 4 for 45 through the air. I know he had a drop, which was a well-placed ball by Kyle McCord, just saying. But Travion Henderson, he brings an element that no other running back on this Ohio State roster brings right now. I know you and I love Dallin Hayden, but Dallin Hayden isn't Travion Henderson. Dallin Hayden doesn't have, would you say, I don't want to say 4-3 speed. It might be 4-3 speed. At a minimum, Travion Henderson has that 4-4 speed. He is the home run hitter. Ohio State refers to him as such. Marvin Harrison Jr., called him the best running back in the country. I don't know if I'm willing to go there, but dude is special. And the right Travion Henderson is a difference maker. And he was that last night. He was absolutely fantastic. The part that makes him so special and it's, it's imperative with this current team is he gets up to speed so much faster than everybody else. And that enables him to hit the hole so much faster than Mayan and Chip. You noticed it when he just hit the hole. The hole's only open for about a tenth of a second here at Ohio State, and he can get there in a tenth of a second when he puts his head down and goes. Chip can't do that, and you saw it last night. Mayan can't do that. You saw him last week. Travion Henderson can hit it fast, and once he hits it, then it's just his athleticism takes over, and it's it's – Athletically, he's probably one of the best running backs in the league. Uh, I will say um, you can't be the best running back in the country if your availability is only 60% of the season. Um, And then you're going to uh, complain about a cheap shot that nobody has been able to find and was at the beginning of the game and you still played the rest of the game. That part of it like really irritates me that he used that as his excuse. but. Uh, as a player, he's exactly what the Buckeyes need. 
and they did a decent job of not wasting 15 carries on plays that weren't going to work. They only had about five or six of those last night. Uh, They finally kind of did a better job of calling plays that fit his skill set. So that part of it was also uh, refreshing to see. You brought up like him getting up to speed and what sort of what I find unique about his running style is they'll say that a lot of guys, you know, they get into open space and then they have that extra gear. I just think that he can get to his extra gear and then like idle. Like he doesn't have to go extra because it's it's there. I, I'm not saying he can't change speed, and I hope I'm making some sort of sense, but like when he gets to the second level, he's at the breakaway speed. And we saw that on the long touchdown. Granted, he almost got tripped up, but the momentum was there. He had built up the speed to where he couldn't be brought down, and then it was almost like he, he coasted past those guys. It's easy speed. It's easy speed is how I would describe Travion Henderson's game. And so it's great to have him back. He clearly made a difference elsewhere. Like I said, Xavier Johnson, four for 29. If they want to continue to use him or have him available on on that sweep, that reverse, whatever they call it, I'm here for that. I think you can run fakes off of that, some play action eventually. And then Chip Trainum, relegated to backup duty, only six for 13. But Chip Trainum still has a role, too. I think that he might continue to be utilized as a short yardage guy, which, take that for what it's worth, it may not work at all. But he's getting better in pass pro, and he's a physical guy. So I like Chip. He's not a starter, in my opinion, but I like having him out there. So the running game looked a lot better last night. If you take away the sack yardage, and the kneel downs, then they went for 200 yards on the ground. Ohio State did. So good, not great job there. The reason it wasn't great is because it could have been more, in my opinion. The offensive line, we can talk about this quickly. Please make it quick. I don't have any energy to talk about these guys. Josh Simmons is an athlete who can't, he can't get an advantage on guys, and I think that's why we see the false starts and the the holding calls. I've said it before. I'm glad that he can dunk a basketball, but he can't get to his set. He can't stop guys at the initial attack point, so he continues to be an issue. Guys will run around him if he doesn't get his hands on them. He had a couple penalties last night. He wasn't the issue in pass pro, I would argue, um, but he wasn't an asset. Josh Fryer was a liability. He got blown around a couple of times. He got beat on the strip sack. Now, he also had a couple good blocks on running plays, but this offensive line is what it is at this point. They are a C-plus offensive line. Maybe I'm being generous. Ohio State will continue to have to game plan around them but at least they know it at this point like if there's one positive I think Ryan Day knows that this offensive line isn't good so he's like okay I've got a game plan around that at least we have some game breakers 
to sort of offset that, it's not a good offensive line. I think we can probably move on, but I know you've got a comment or two. He better keep planning for it because obviously nobody's in the pipeline if nobody can break into this garbage group. And then the recruiting class, I mean, you're not bringing in freshmen to start anyway, but the recruits, it's not like we've got top 15 five stars that are going to come is where. This is where I think that, and I'm just assuming, but like we saw a little bit with the secondary. I think this is where Ohio State gets aggressive in the transfer portal. And I wish it weren't this way, but they've got to go out and get a proven guy or two. Still develop what you've got in-house. I, I don't think Simmons is going anywhere, but he's not He's not a big-time left tackle. Josh Fryer, unfortunately, I don't think is a, a big-time right tackle. Donovan Jackson, in my opinion, has gotten better as the year has gone on. Carson Hinsman, not a liability by any means. I think he's been pretty good. Matt Jones is okay. But tackles, tackles are the money positions on the offensive line, and they're losing money. They're not making money with the guys that they have. So they that needs to get figured out. Chuck, if I've got a comp, it's last year's Cincinnati Bengals. Or it's early season Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow. They're like, hey, we just got to get rid of the ball quickly. Ohio State can take more deep shots. But I, I see some similarities there. Before I get like this upset stomach, though, let's move on to the defense. Because I love talking about this defense. I don't love watching all of these games, but I love watching this defense. Like I get up for watching it. it it's exciting, even if they're not causing a thousand turnovers. Jim Knowles is pushing all of the right buttons right now. He's got a collection of talent. He's put them in the right spots. He's figured out what they do best. And he is a chef in a co- in a kitchen cooking with all the right ingredients. I, I know they had two sustained drives against them last night. Resulted in 10 points. I love this defense, man. Like I'm gushing about this defense. I was looking at some of the numbers. Um, 2019, to be exact, very comparable. The points per game, it's like 11 versus 10. Yards per game, they're within 20 yards per game of each other. Very comparable to 2019. I, I don't want to compare draft picks because I think that's sort of tricky and difficult to do. But this is a really good defense. This is a championship-level defense if McCord can give you the B-plus or the A-minus, whatever it is. Up front, I think Jack Sawyer, we've said it before, this may have actually been Jack Sawyer's most consistent game. He didn't have a sack. But he had six total tackles. That's, four so- that's the Jack Sawyer story. He, it it is. consistent game, and he still didn't get the quarterback on the ground. It is. And, like, I'm starting to see a lot of Sam Hubbard in him. Because I know personally, I get frustrated by Sam Hubbard when I watch the Bengals because he can't, he can't get there. But Jack Sawyer is very... He's solid. We have knocked him. I know other Ohio State fans have knocked him for not making big plays. But he's making plays. If that, you know what I mean? Did, like he's, did you and I watched the same game? Did we watch the same game? I thought he was good. They had, their quarterback had multiple seconds 
20 on 20 of those throws. He's just a bad quarterback. They weren't within four yards of him on at least 15 throws yesterday. Not a single guy. I can't. I can't wait until we see the grades that you hate, the PFF grades, like the pressures and the hurries. I think that there were more than we are acknowledging. There's no – hurries are bullshit. There's no way that they did – there wasn't – JT made his uh, obligatory player two that he shows he's a really great athlete, but he made them because he – Yeah, he made a couple plays in like the run game. He, I don't think Z- he actually got them down. But no, he had zero he made, tackles. No, yeah, he didn't. And he missed part of the game because he hurt his belly. But that guy had all day to throw. I Here's how much time he had to throw. Kyle McCord had that much time to throw. He'd be an all-Big Ten quarterback. <sighs> I, don't know, I think we're going to agree. I don't disagree that Braidlock had too much time. But... I don't know. It seemed, especially in the second half, it seemed like Ohio State wasn't as aggressive. Like they were just, you know, they weren't blitzing anybody. They were just trying to bring pressure with four. And yeah, maybe they should have gotten more pressure. Um, I guess part of this defensive line. It'd be nice if the four could get somebody down. Well, you know what's interesting? When's the last time we've talked about Mike Hall Jr.? He had one play yesterday. He hasn't had, it's been Ty Lee. High leaks the the but you, if you're depending on your defensive tackles to to get the quarterback down more than the defensive ends, that's just not how football works. These yeah. guys don't step up into the pocket. It, and here's the thing: if you want your defensive tackles to get sacks, your defensive ends have to force him up in the pocket. And he never they never had to step up. The only time he stepped up was when he ran the ball, and they were designed runs. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you about the defensive tackles, but still, you know. Jack Sawyer was the best one on the defensive line yesterday because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this. Um, here are guys who had more tackles than JT Tuimoloau and Mike Hall Jr. combined. Cade Stover, who plays offense, Travion Henderson, who plays offense, Gabe Powers, who is a ninth string linebacker, Hero Canoe, probably your fifth defensive tackle, Matthew Jones. Offensive lineman <laughs> and Jaden McKenzie, a reserve defensive tackle. Jack Sawyer was the only one really giving you anything. I know that JT Tuimoloau is a threat, but he just couldn't get home. He couldn't affect the game. Oh, uh, Wisconsin's got a good left tackle. I think it's Jack Nelson. I hope I didn't mess that up. He's a good player. Jack Sawyer had six tackles, and I think he had more pressures than you do. We can agree to disagree, but the defensive line wasn't great last night, and that's probably the the worst thing about the defensive performance is that they weren't great. But Tyleek Williams continues to, he's really standing out. He had four tackles, two for loss. He had a sack. He knocked down another pass. He's probably first on the team in passes defended at this point because of all of his knock his knockdowns. Um, but they did what they needed to do by and large. And then at the second level, Tommy Eichenberg played really well and Steel Chambers at linebacker, like he's playing well in spots. They've figured out some sort of rotation with Cody Simon and Steel Chambers. You may not always be able to guess right against certain teams, but Jim Knowles and James Laurinaitis are pushing the right buttons there. Tommy Eichenberg, um, 
I, I know that he had a, a rough game or two, but he was in the right spots. He had a great stop uh, near the goal line at the end of the first half. So let's move past the defensive line a bit. How would you sort of rate, grade, describe the performance of the linebackers? They were, I thought the linebackers were fine. I, I don't think you, you would hope when they blitz, they got a little more pressure. But if we're not going to ding the defensive line for not getting pressure, we can't ding the linebackers for getting pressure either. So I, I think they were fine. I think they they served a purpose. Uh, and I, I know we'll get to them. The, the defensive backfield is where the superstars of this game. It was Marvin Harrison, Travion, and then the safeties and corners because they just played phenomenally back there. When they were asked to, right? They, they didn't have to do a ton, but... Davison Ingbenosin probably had one of his better games. Like I know he's not going up against Jerry Rice, but he was really good in coverage last night. Probably the best I've seen him consistently in coverage. He only had two tackles, but he didn't have to make a lot. Denzel Burke continues to be a shutdown guy. Like It was pass interference on the long ball. It, it just was, but it wasn't egregious, so he got away with it. And he tried to deliver another one of those knockout hits that almost went poorly. But I'm nitpicking on the Denzel Burke performance. He's a stud. Jordan Hancock is such a Swiss Army knife. I know he's your favorite guy. Like, I might have to get you a number seven jersey for Christmas. Four tackles last night. All solo. He had a sack. Um, I'm interested to see what they do with him if Lathan Ransom is out. That's going to be... That's a problem. Uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Cam Martinez stepped on the field and immediately gave up a big play. Like he, it was his first freaking play on the game. It's, it's mine. He is the gap there is bad. And with uh, Jihad Carter banged up, who knows when he's going to be back. I mean, he, he's probably out for the 2024 season with the way this training staff operates. Like you're going to have to have a serious conversation about moving Sonny to strong safety because Cam Martinez cannot be a starter on this team. You beat me to it. I think that has to be the move. Or in some order, it needs to be Sonny and Josh Proctor in the back end because Jordan Hancock is just too valuable moving around and playing in the slot. Like you can't put him deep. I mean, he could probably play it. You know what I mean? But he's too valuable otherwise. So first and foremost, you hope the Lathan Ransom isn't out long term. But with the training staff, who the hell knows? Um, maybe it is a positive development. They're like he was carted off and then limped back. Like I know that's not super promising, but really they have a month to get him right. Do they not? Like, I, I'm not saying Ohio State's going to roll the ball out and win these next three games 40 to nothing, but they can do without Lathan Ransom. The hope is that if he is banged up, he's back in a month. We thought Denzel Burke might miss more time, and he missed a week. So I've got my fingers crossed, but anytime you see the non-contact deal, that's scary. But... Jihad Carter could be an option if he's healthy. Like, he's been in the doghouse, but maybe he is just a clear second to Ransom, 
Proctor, Styles, and they haven't rotated a lot. They've sort of held true to their rotation or lack thereof. Maybe Jahad Carter just can't beat out guy A or guy B. We know he's experienced. We know he can do a bunch of stuff. So if he's healthy, he would be my option so that you can keep the other guys in the spots that they've been successful. My concern with him is he got actually like legit rolled up on. His yep. was an injury that we saw and actually could say, oh, yeah, he probably got hurt on that play. So I wouldn't be shocked if he had some actual like structural damage from that. And they just haven't let on that he's had some surgery or is going to be out. Maybe it's a sprain that's a four or five week injury because he got. I mean, and he was in some pain when it happened. So it was something that was legit that he actually uh, unfortunately experienced on that special teams play. Could be Malik Hartford's time. Uh, We saw him surprisingly earlier in the season, and then he's since gone MIA. Maybe he's on the weird red shirt plan where they just decide, hey, we've got too many guys. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like that him being – he was playing in – way above his pay grade there for a little bit and I feel like he kind of regressed back to a true freshman playing safety at a big time school and it kind of caught up to him a little bit for but sure that was four weeks ago five weeks ago I mean he wouldn't be the first freshman that kind of figured it out as the season gone on so I, I'm here for it for sure and you know I Chuck, we're nearly an hour and a half in. I don't know that we need to go a ton further, but before I get out of here, I will once again bring up special teams just because the return game continues to be absent. Um, Jesse Mirko's average punting last night, not good, but he had three inside the 20 for whatever that's worth, but... What happened that all mo- that like sort of gave Wisconsin life? It was another good punt return. So I'm going to continue to say it until hopefully Ryan Day hears me. Parker Fleming's not a good coach, man. Like he's just not. And I have been hesitant to maybe call him out like some others have. Like I know you've called him out. Land Grant's Gene Ross has been on this for forever. Like he has a manifesto, if you need a word there. He's had a manifesto to get rid of Parker Fleming. This special teams isn't good. It's not championship level. You might be able to cover it up if you do everything else right. They suck, man. Like I And they've got athletes all over the place. To me, it is evident that they are not well coached on, on, in, in any facet of special teams. None of it. And even when they catch a punt, Ballard scares the hell out of me. He's so lackadaisical. That's that's a a, a clear uh, there's no accountability for how the special teams actually operates on this team. And if you're going to have a coach run that position group or run that area of the team, they better be perfect and they're so far away from perfect that I can't even fathom that he collects paychecks from an a, a institution of higher learning like Ohio State. I think that's a good way to wrap this one up. We're in total agreement that Ohio State special teams is a problem, but we're going to get out of here. It's been a long one. I I always say this every Sunday morning. I don't plan on going uh as long as we did, but I'm looking at an empty cup of coffee. Here, Chuck, which means that it's beyond time to get out of here. I need another cup of unleaded. 
especially this weather. I need something to keep me going. So that's going to do it for Chuck and myself. We will be back on Wednesday with a Rutgers preview. I'm sure that's going to be a thriller. Rutgers is just um, like lame Wisconsin, <laughs> but um, uh, but they're six and two. <laughs> they're six and two. Maybe we'll have something to talk oh. about. I shouldn't. That's not a good way to tease the episode. So Chuck and I are going to be back here Wednesday with an exciting as all hell episode. We're going to talk about CFP rankings potentially and all that good stuff. But until then, guys, um, please hit us up. Interact with us on social. Send us emails, whatever you want to do. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. We appreciate each and every one of you guys. And until next time, as always, go Bucks.